0: Well good morning. I want to take a minute and talk about Christmas. Everybody have a good day yesterday? Let me ask you a few questions. Everybody happy with what they got? Well that's good. Did you eat enough? Do you eat too much? Let me ask a dangerous question. And it's dangerous because you may be sitting near the person that bought it. So don't raise your hand. Don't grunt. Don't make any acknowledgement of this. But did anybody get a present that they didn't want? Uh, Y'all follow instructions well. I saw a little smirk here and there, a little uh, kind of a a gleam in your eye. Well, maybe you got a present that you loved, but it was the wrong color. How about that? Anybody, maybe it just wasn't quite the right color. You can acknowledge that. Anybody get one that wasn't the right size? It's kind of like the man who said to his wife, I really think that the washing machine is shrinking all my clothes. And she said, I don't. I think it's the refrigerator. You know, sometimes... We've got the wrong perspective of things. Well, as we think about this time of year, this morning, I don't know about you, but I have kind of this awkwardness about what to say to people. Do you say Merry Christmas, or do you say Happy New Year? We're somewhere in between, and in the midst of this, I think we can certainly say Merry Christmas any day of the year, amen? I mean, we think about the arrival of Jesus and we ought to celebrate that, but this is a strange season. For the past several months, we've been in shopping season, and now we're in what retailers call the season of returns. Tis the season for returns. People will take those presents back. They'll kindly exchange them or get a refund or get store credit. And it's interesting to me, I did a little research and I was just kind of looking at it. The next couple of weeks mark uh, that season, but one day in particular is called National Returns Day. You see, in the, the all of the returns that will happen, a lot of the online purchases that happen. January 2nd is sort of the peak of all of those returns, and so retailers call it National Returns Day. Listen to this. According to the National Retail Federation, retailers are expecting 13.3% of all merchandise sold during the Christmas holiday season to be returned are exchanged. I, I don't know about you, but that seemed pretty high to me 13%. That's one out of every eight gifts. Now, most people in general probably get close to that many presents, maybe from the office or from friends or from families. And to think that everybody, Potentially, one out of eight gifts. I mean, some of us may be a little less than average. We'll get one or two things, that lump of coal in our stocking. But some of you got more than that. So let's just say on average we got eight. That means that everybody that got anything is going to return something. That's fascinating to me, the season of returns. Kind of interesting to me too that if you, you consider how returns are becoming more and more prevalent with all the online shopping. In the last 10 years, returns, retail returns at Christmas time have tripled. Just in 10 years. And and that's obvious. You can't try it on. You can't touch it or taste it or smell it or look at it in a store. You can't get a sense of it. And so buying things is sort of buying them blind based on the picture on your phone or on your computer. And so lots and lots of things get returned and get exchanged. Well, I've been thinking about some other returns lately. And this weekend, I kind of reflected on those. You know, tomorrow we'll return back to normal whatever that is. I, I heard a long time ago that normal is nothing more than the setting on your dryer. There's no such thing as normal. Things always come up and life throws curveballs at you, but we'll go back to work uh, today right after the service. Those of you that have purchased poinsettias, will take them with you. Next week we'll come and we'll take down all of the Christmas decorations right after the service. And so we, we kind of return to normal. Maybe you'll take them down at your own house. How many of you leave your decorations up till after the new year? Anybody? How many of you have already started taking stuff? That There's some of y'all in this room too. Like yesterday, you finished lunch and said, okay, it's done. It's all gotta go back in the box. Time to put it up. You want your house and your life back to normal. As we think about those kinds of returns, I, I got to thinking about this as well. A different kind of return about some returns that happened in the Christmas account itself. And as I read the Christmas story this year, I probably read it more. I'm not sure why, but I read it more over and over again over the past couple of months, reading from Luke 2 and reading from Matthew 2 and just looking very closely at the account. And I want to share with you two different groups that are in the cast of characters around the Christmas story and their returns. As we think about this, this great historical redemptive drama of Christmas that we just celebrated yesterday includes a significant supporting cast. There are people that show up in every nativity set. There are people that show up on the Christmas cards. They, they, They show up in our songs. We sing about these characters, and as we talk about them, you probably recognize and realize if I'm talking about groups of people, then I'm thinking of shepherds and magi. And I want to talk to you for just a minute about the shepherds in Luke 2 and then the magi in Matthew 2. And as we consider them, we're going to look at their return from their Christmas experience. I don't know how painful or or how exhilarating it will be for you to return back to normal. Maybe you're going to take people to the airport sometime in the next couple of days. Or maybe you hugged them at the doorstep and they got in a car to drive off. Perhaps many of our folks are not here this morning because they had traveled elsewhere and today they're returning home. So tis the season for returns. We build up, we have the Christmas celebration, and then we return. The same thing was true with the shepherds and with the magi. Turn with me, if you will, to Luke chapter 2, and we're just going to look at one verse there, Luke Luke 2, 20, and this will tell us a little bit about the shepherds and their journey back. Luke chapter 2, the shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all that they had seen. It was just as the angel had told them. Read those first four words right there with me. The shepherds went back. Read them with me. Let's try that again. The shepherds went back. If you read this from the King James, we'll go to the next slide. I think we've got it. Read them this this way. These four words. And the shepherds returned. There's a mouthful in that one sentence. And the shepherds returned. I want us to look at to what they returned And I want us to look together at how they returned because they were fundamentally different. What did they return to? Where were they going back to? These four simple, powerful words are are mesmerizing to me. If you'll back up just a little bit in the chapter, in the text, Luke 2, 8 gives us clear indication as to what they were returning to. Look at Luke 2, 8 with me. It says very simply, And there were, in the same country, shepherds abiding in the field. And what were they doing? watching over their flock by night. You see, the shepherds were returning to everyday life. They were returning to their responsibilities and their lives. They were returning back to the place of caring for ewes and lambs and sheep. They were going back to this demanding chore of looking after the ewes and delicate, fragile newborns during the lambing season. They were going back to the time-consuming and tedious and laborious process of shearing sheep and giving reasonable price for the wool or finding a, a market, a challenging find of a market for those sheep that needed to be culled from the flock. They were going back to the task of inspecting firstborn lambs that had been dedicated to the Lord, set aside for sacrifice in the temple. We talked about this on Friday night. What a fascinating thing. These shepherds, who were often untouchable and unclean, had one line of interaction with the priest, and it was this, that the priest would supply for the shepherds lambs' claw swaddling cloth and they would take those swaddling cloths and they would look at a newborn firstborn lamb and as they inspected one leg and saw that that leg was without defect or deformed they would wrap it up they would swaddle it and he would move on to another section and they would inspect with a a grand sense of ceremonial uh, precision this lamb and once they had swaddled that lamb it was prepared for sacrifice Oh, what a beautiful picture there in the manger that we know that Jesus was laid in a manger after being swaddled in lamb's cloth. But the shepherds went back to that task. I want you to think about this. They went on farther than that. They went back to the task for searching uh, for lost sheep and they stretched their meager resources to try to make ends meet. And they were going back to raising families, back to the reality of working with other shepherds who perhaps weren't easy to get along with. The reason that I share that with you is tomorrow many of you will return. You'll return back to your normal everyday routine activities. They were returning back to whatever family problems they might have had beforehand. These were real men. These were real men who lived in real places and we prone to think of them as they are depicted in a nativity set or on a Christmas card or in a song. And they were real men with real jobs and real struggles And real temptations, and real burdens, and real responsibilities, and they were going back to those things. Back from what? Well, they were going back from meeting Jesus Christ. They had come after the announcement of the angel, and they came and they saw everything that the angel told them. We just read that in the text. And they could not go back the same way. They went back to the same place, but they were different. How did they go back? How did they return? Go back to Luke 2.20 with me. I love this picture. The shepherds went back to their flocks doing what? Say it with me. Glorifying and praising God. Say that again. Glorifying and praising God. They went back in a spirit of worship. They went back in a spirit of awe and wonder and reverence. It fundamentally changed them. And if this is the season of returns, if we're going back to our everyday lives tomorrow, I want to ask you, how are you going back? Are you going back different because you've encountered the Christ child? Are you going back different because you've had an encounter with the presence of God? All of the presence under the tree falter in comparison to the greatest gift ever given, the presence of God. And when we encounter his presence, and we've talked about this for a month now, he is our Emmanuel. He is God with us his presence in our presence we encounter him and it changes everything they went back to their flocks glorifying God worshiping God let me say it this way church family the litmus test to the depth and the genuineness of our relationship with the Lord is what kind of example we set what kind of testimony we give What kind of legacy we leave out there in the rough and tumble world of work, of everyday life, in the workplace, as we relate to those that are over us and under us, as an employer or as an employee, what does your life signify? What will you return to tomorrow? All of the problems that you had before Christmas. But how will you return? Will you go back with an attitude, a heart attitude of worship and awe and reverence and wonder? How will you treat your family tomorrow in light of what happened yesterday? Oh, I want you to begin to think about this. A genuine encounter with Jesus Christ will mark your life. It'll mark your thoughts. It'll mark your speech. It will mark your attitude. You will worship and glorify God when you've encountered the presence of Emmanuel. If your life is not different after Christmas, maybe, just maybe, it's because you encountered a day but not the divine. Maybe just maybe you went through a celebration, but you've not yet met Christ. Maybe just maybe you've celebrated a holiday, but you've never encountered holiness. Emmanuel, God with us, changes. Everything. I've not met one person who was that lost sheep that Christ found that not did not want to find others, that did not want to tell others. And these shepherds were that way. They went back and told everyone why tis the season for returns. You see, we don't live on the mountaintop. We come back down into the valleys. When Peter, James, and John on the Mount of Transfiguration found themselves in that moment of revival, have you ever been there? You've been in the presence of the Lord in a revival service and an opportunity of singing and praising God. And you said, oh, it's so good to be here, maybe on a mission trip. And you say, I wish we could just camp out right here. That's exactly what they said. Can't we just build tabernacles right here? Uh, Peter said, Lord, it is good for us to be here. Absolutely, it's good for you to be in the presence of God. But Jesus would then say, behold, I will be with you always, and I want you to go as you are going make disciples of all people of all peoples of all nations of all people groups you go and you share the good news you boldly proclaim the good news you disciple people baptize them teach them to observe everything that I've commanded and I'm still with you even to the end of the age and that means you may go through difficulty Those things will not happen all on the mountaintop. There will be times that in our daily grind of life, we share Christ everywhere we go because we've encountered Christ. And if we're not sharing Christ in the daily grind of life, maybe, just maybe, it's because we truly have not seen Christ. Let me ask you very pointedly this morning. This seems odd on a Christmas weekend, but let me just ask you are you saved? Have you placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you met him or have you only read about him? We've read the Christmas story in service after service for the past month. Friday night, beautifully read as we sang by candlelight as we consider the truth of this story from Luke 2. But the shepherds left differently. They left glorifying and worshiping and praising God for all that they had seen. One poet wrote it this way. He said, you are writing a gospel pinning a page each day by the things you do and by the things you say. Men are reading that gospel, whether faultless or true. You must ask this question. What is the gospel according to you? Is your life a reflection of the life giver? Is your life a reflection that is changed because you've encountered Christ? And parents, you need to know this. Your children need to see a marked difference in your life, not just when you come to church, not just when you leave the car and you ring the bell and say, we'll go back to round two and fight later, but you close the doors and you walk into church and you put on a happy face and you smile at each other and your kids know whether that's genuine or not. And your spouse knows whether that's genuine or not. And you get back in the car and you leave. You know, I I heard a story of a man who was applying for a job. And in applying for a job, he put down the names of his pastor and his Sunday school teacher as references. And the interviewer looked at the names and said, those are good. But we'd also like the names of some of the people that know you on weekdays. Hello. It's not about how we act Sunday after Sunday. It's how we act between Sundays. It's how we act all the time. These were shepherds. These were outcasts in some respects. These were men who were of the lowest of the possible low. They were not socially uh, graced by the presence of many. They did a, an unthank, a thankless job, we'll say. And yet, they boldly proclaimed everywhere, we've seen the Christ. We've seen the messiah think about this with me colossians 1:27 speaks of christ in you the hope of glory the only hope of some people repenting of their sins and surrendering in faith is a, a connection to someone else they see it and because they see it they want it they experience it god uses through his holy spirit drawing his own believers to be visible demonstrations of Christ. That's why we're called his body. And when you and I become the mouthpiece and the hands and the feet of Jesus to a lost and dying and darkened world, then they see Christ. And when we see Christ, we're never the same. We return in a different way. We return glorifying and praising God. And Christ in you is the hope of glory. We've talked a great deal during this Advent season about hope. Hope is my favorite word in all of the Bible besides the name Jesus. Hope really distinguishes the life of a believer and a non-believer, someone who is heaven-bound or someone who is helplessly, hopelessly destined for a Christless eternity. Hope is the difference. And it's not a wishful thinking. It's not a hope so in the sense that I I really genuinely aspire for this to happen. It's a confident expectation. God said it. I believe it. It's settled. It's going to happen. He promised long before Christmas, promises made, promises kept, and the second coming fits in line with those promises. In Acts chapter 4, we read these words. You don't have to turn there. Peter and John were boldly witnessing for Christ. They had been changed. They were cowardly just days before. But they saw the resurrected Christ, and when they did, it says this, that those Jewish leaders that were unbelieving around them, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, uneducated, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Will people take note that you've been with family on Monday? Will they take note that you've been on a, a trip for Christmas? Or will somehow, somewhere, the attitude of your heart, the reflection of your life, get to the place where people take note that you have been with Jesus, oh, may it be so, Hardy Street, may it be so of all of our lives. I hope and pray that you and I would would reflect Christ to our neighbors and the people that we work with and those that we interact with socially and to our families. We talk often here at Hardy Street about our neighbors, the nations, and the next generation. Oh, that we would target those groups with lives changed by the gospel, the good news that Jesus found us in our helpless, hopeless condition. These shepherds, untouchable, these shepherds cast out are now drawn in. The angels of heaven, the host of heaven sang to them, glory to God in the highest. And they said, we saw it and everything we were told was true. If you've not been with Jesus, you can change that situation today you can be saved today. You can trust the Lord Jesus Christ today. You can place your faith in Him and commit your life to Him if you'll reach out to Him very, very simply with those two conditions. In essence, you repent of your sin and you place your faith in Him as the payment for your sin. It's two sides of the same coin. Repent and believe. Trust Him and you'll be saved. You'll receive eternal life. Oh, glory that we would begin to see this. Jesus said in John six thirty seven. those Those who come to me, I will never reject them. He will receive you with open arms today. And I hope that you would begin to see that these shepherds returned to real life, real world, real problems, but they returned as worshipers. Next, if you will, turn with me to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. And I want to take just a moment as we look together in this account, Matthew's account of the Christmas story, and see the other group in this cast of characters. These are the magi. We often call them the wise men. And as we think about these magi, there's a lot of misconceptions based on tradition that we probably need to dispel, and I want us to just talk about those. I've learned so much this Christmas season, studying and thinking about this, pondering it in my heart, and as we think about their return, we're going to see something unique. Matthew chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. Verse 3, King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law. Where is Messiah supposed to be born? Verse five in Bethlehem in Judea they said for this is what the prophet wrote and then you begin to read the words of the prophet. Verse seven Herod called for a private meeting with these wise men these magi and uh, it's interesting he learned from them the time when the star first appeared and then he told them go to Bethlehem search carefully for the child and when you find him come back to me so that I can go and worship him too and you and I know the rest of that story he was not interested in worship he was threatened by a rival. It's interesting to me as I read from commentators that Caesar Augustus himself had jokingly said to Herod and given Herod, dubbed Herod with the title King of the Jews. He is on this Judean outpost as a Roman leader and he was called the King of the Jews. And he began to buy his own hype. It's fascinating if you read the stories of Herod. He was a ruthless and brutal and bloodthirsty man. He killed many of his own family members. We know that when he heard of the time in the prophecy of this child being born that would be Messiah. He had all of those children in Israel, two years old and younger, slaughtered ruthlessly. He was a brutal, brutal man, and he saw from these magi uh, uh, an opportunity to pounce, and he said, I want to go worship too. He had no interest in worship. He was simply along for the ride verse 12 we know that the magi had come and they visited and they gave gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh but look at verse 12 when it was time to leave they returned to their own country by another route they went home another way is how it said They returned differently. This is not about geography alone. This is not just simply, well, normally I go home down Hardy Street, but today I'm going to take Broadway Drive. No, not at all. They encountered Christ, and their lives were forever transformed. Their lives were forever changed. Their mindset had been fulfilled in all of their hopes, and it's fascinating as we think about these men. Their presence absolutely infuriated Herod. Now, we could invest a ton of time this morning considering these men and their significance historically and politically and otherwise, but I do want to take just a few minutes and kind of give you some insight into the landscape of the story. Rome always had its eye toward the east. Obviously, Babylon, the Medes, and the Persians in the east, some 700 to 900 miles, had been world powers, and so as Rome ascended, they constantly watched the east and so for these visitors from the east to come into herod's jurisdiction he would have been very very keenly aware and on high alert and that's exactly what we see that's why he called the leaders together that's why he called these magi into his presence it's a fascinating thing to begin to think of but here's some of the questions who are these wise men All of us have probably wondered that. Anybody ever had many questions about them? I remember when I was a little boy wondering, who are these wise guys? I mean, I just remembered thinking, there's something to this story. I've seen them, I've heard them. How many were there? Are they really kings? Did they really ride camels? Why did they come to Bethlehem? Who told them about a star and a Messiah? Who told them they're not Jews? Uh, And we wonder all of those things. And we have most of our ideas about the Magi, not from Scripture, but actually from Christmas tradition, from Christmas cards that make pretty lousy theologians at times. Listen to this, Marvin Vincent, he's written a great work. It's called Word Studies in the New Testament. Maybe you've seen it. But he said, many absurd traditions and guesses respecting these visitors to our Lord's cradle have found their way into popular belief and even into Christian art. They were said to be kings and three in number. They were said to be representatives of three families of Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And therefore, one of them is often portrayed as an Ethiopian. Their names are even given in history. They are called Kaspar, Belshazzar, and Melchior. You probably have heard that. It's fascinating to me. This is from the annals of history that their skulls, amazingly, have said to have been found. Listen to this. They were found in the 12th century by Bishop Renaud of Cologne. The bishop dug up those heads and knew right off that these skulls were of these three magi. And here's how. I can't make this stuff up, folks. He said their eyes were still in their sockets and they were still fixed toward Bethlehem. Amen. That's just weird. Today, believe it or not, those skulls are enshrined In a priceless casket in a great cathedral in Europe. And so you don't think I'm making it up, I've got a picture of it. It's called the Shrine of Cologne and otherwise known as the Shrine of the Magi. You can go there today and see where they believe that the heads of these three kings are placed. History tells us something different about these men. Let's just clear some of this up. The Bible says to us that they came from where? From the East. From the East or the country boy from Perry County said they were firemen because it said they came from afar, right? I don't know about that. But the Bible said that they came from the east. And in coming from the east, they came from the land of Babylon, from Persia. They came 900 miles away. This is modern-day Iran. And they traveled 900 miles, probably on horseback, not on camel, on Persian steed. Well, think about that, 900 miles. They say that it would take about 35 to 45 days of straight through hard driving to go 900 miles. So it's an amazing trip that they took for quite some time. They definitely sacrificed. How did they know to look for this star? Well, I'm glad you asked. If you and I were to go back, and you don't have to turn there, but last year I preached through the book of Daniel. And do you remember in Daniel chapter 9 that Daniel was set up as the head of the leader of a group in Babylon called the Magi. These were not just philosophers. They were not just politicians. These were some of the wisest men. They studied astronomy and they studied studied astrology. Zoroastrianism sort of came out of that. But kings and and potentates looked to them because they were so wise. And they often sought their counsel. And the beauty of this is that they ultimately became sort of like parliament. That you didn't make a decision without consulting the magi. And as you went to the magi, they became king makers and you need to hear this you need to know this you need to note this they were king makers and that is significant to the story you see each of the gospel writers wrote for a very specific purpose and Matthew wrote to tell the Jews Jesus is the king of the Jews I don't know if you've ever studied that. You think about it, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. One writes to the Greeks, one writes to the Romans, one writes to the Jews, and John wrote to the whole world. He said, I'm writing so that you'll know Jesus is the Son of God, and in knowing that, you'll believe, and in believing in his name, you will be saved. But Matthew reports over and over again from the Old Testament. Almost 200 times he quotes the Old Testament and says, Jesus is the king. And now these Gentile kingmakers from 900 miles away ride into town, not three of them. Where did we get three? The gifts we look at gold frankincense and myrrh but realistically there were probably between 2 and 300 this was a garrison this was a a delegation And when they showed up in town, if you are Herod and you think you're big stuff in Judea, I am the king of the Jews. By the way, I know that Herod was a big deal because I've been to Masada where he built a fortress. I've been to the Hippodrome at Caesarea Maritima where they would race. If you've ever seen Ben-Hur and you see them racing chariots, his Hippodrome held 13,000 spectators in that arena. It was a marvelous sight. He was a man of wealth and power, and influence, and ego, and all of a sudden, these kingmakers come into my jurisdiction looking for a king, I'm right here. And they said, oh, no, 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 no. There wasn't a star perched over your palace. There wasn't a star perched over your throne. We're looking for the one whom has we have read of for centuries. In fact, it's amazing to me that the Jews right there in Jerusalem and in Bethlehem weren't looking for the Messiah, and yet these Gentile pagans were looking based on what Daniel had said seven, 800 years before. They'd read all these prophecies of Jeremiah and Isaiah. Isn't it amazing that Daniel, one young teacher? teenager totally sold out to God could impact literally generations of people that did not know God what would it look like if God in this generation raised up one person who would say yes Lord here I am send me we we complain about the darkness instead of lighting candles oh that today we would say God I am forever different because of what you've done in and through into and my life and now would you move through me and share with others I love this picture these wise men were guided to the king of the jews by a miraculous stellar event the star of bethlehem they just simply called it his star (laughs) he owns them all he flung them into space with just a word let there be light he put them there But the beauty of this picture is, as they asked concerning the birth of Christ, they were directed to Bethlehem and they followed God's, God's guidance joyfully. When they got to Bethlehem, they gave costly gifts. These were gifts that meant something to them. I mean, these are powerful men. The baby has no need of gold. The baby has no need of frankincense and myrrh. And you know that there's lots of symbolism around those great gifts, but the sacrifice of their worship demonstrates for me something that we should stand up and take note of did you come here today prepared to meet with god or prepared to endure a sermon and a service oftentimes we come to endure not to encounter oh that today we would slow ourselves for just a moment and recognize emmanuel god is with us he is here, not just in this place, not just in this house built of brick and mortar, but he is with his people gathered together in his spirit. Now, as we think about these men, it's pretty powerful. It says that they went home a different way. They did see fulfilled in their eyes all of the hopes and the dreams of hundreds of years, centuries of prophetic announcement and promise. They were guided to this place. So who were these wise men, these magi? They were king makers that came boldly proclaiming we know a king has come they read and believed god's word They sought Jesus. They recognized the worth of Jesus. They humbled themselves to worship Jesus, and they obeyed God rather than man. They were truly wise men. Those words came from John MacArthur as he was describing these uh, magi, and it pricked my heart to think these are men who read the word of God, knew the word of God, sought after Jesus, worshiped him reverently, sacrificially, humbly, and they shared the gospel everywhere because they obeyed God rather than man they didn't go back to herod no it says that they returned a different way they went home forever changed oh that that would be said of us today oh that today we would say post christmas on december the 26th we left a a worship gathering different that you returned home a different husband, that you returned home a different wife, that you returned home a different student, that your life was transformed not because I preached a sermon, not because we sang songs, but because Jesus met you at your point of need and you said yes to him. You trusted him. You encountered him. Oh, an encounter with Christ changes everything. Would you return tomorrow to work or home or to school with Christ in your heart? Would you return with Christ on your mind? Would you return with Christ's promises as your priorities. His agenda is your agenda. Thinking about him, worshiping him, alive to God and dead to sin. And if we are honest with ourselves, we live our lives as practical atheists so many days. We give little or no thought to Christ's presence in our lives. And if there's anything I could beg of our church that we would seek after, it is the manifest presence of God day by day. That we would say, God, I don't want to move until you move. God, I don't want to go ahead of you and I don't want to lag behind. The most beautiful picture of that is in the tabernacle of the Old Testament when the pillar of cloud or the pillar of fire moved. The people began to move. You see, God's presence radiated from the temple. But what happened at Pentecost? No longer was there a centralized place of worship. All of the sudden, fire was over the heads of every single believer. And as they spread out to the known world, God led them from the inside. It's an inside job because the Holy Spirit of God dwells in you. And if you don't believe me, read Paul's words in Corinthians where he says, do you not know that your body is a temple? He's not just making some offhanded reference. He's saying, no, the dwelling place of God is in the heart of every believer. He said, I'll dwell with you. He told Moses in Deuteronomy, tell the people if they will build a sanctuary for me, I will, and I love the verb, I will tabernacle with them. I will dwell with them. I'll move into your residence. And for you and for me, that's not just one place out in the desert wilderness. It's not just a place on top of a mountain in Jerusalem. It's everywhere we go the manifest presence of God. I think about this. What way did they go home? Well, you say, well, they came you know, on the southern route. I, I know some guys that are just amazing about that. They know every exit number practically anywhere and everywhere there is. My dad was that guy. He had Rand McNally uh, maps, and if you're under a certain age, ask your grandparents later. They can tell you what I'm talking about. But they had laminated maps before GPS, and he would pull those things out on the dashboard, and we're just praying, you know, because he's looking at his map and not the road. I was like, we can do this. You know, not necessarily simultaneous. Let's pull over, look at the map, and then go forward. And, and we struggle with a GPS. I mean, we'll have those directions go in there. And I'll say, Stephanie, where should we turn? She said, right back there. Oh, well, good. Let's turn around this way. Recalculating, recalculating, recalculating. But my dad was just uh, amazing at keeping up with where he was going to go and the route he was going to take. We're gonna take the southern route out, and we're gonna come back a northern route on the way back, and we seem to never get lost. Well, these men from 900 miles away are going a different route. They're gonna go to their country a different way. They're not gonna go back through where Herod will hear of them, but they're going to return with news. Messiah has come. And we know that the message of the gospel began to spread even before the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus because we know that these men went back and said we've been reading and studying and hearing for centuries in all of what we have heard. We know of Daniel's influence of Nebuchadnezzar, and we know that this Messiah will make a difference in all the world. I imagine that they got report that now all of the infants had been slaughtered, but they probably somewhere along the way said, what happened to the Christ child? What happened to the one that we left? We invested those gifts. I just envisioned that the gold that they left perhaps funded their trip to Egypt. They go away to Egypt. It's amazing to begin to think about all that God did in the life of Joseph and Mary and all that was happening all around the world. But all of that happened for the express purpose that they would go by the way of faith fulfilled and hope realized. I hope that Christmas is not just come and gone and you enter into a season of returns that are focused on Amazon and brick and mortar stores. Oh, I hope that Hardy Street Baptist Church returns to life rough and tumble Life, the valleys of life, the family struggles of life, the heartaches of life, the difficulties of school and work, but you return a different way. That you, like the shepherds, would return glorifying and praising God. That you, like the magi, would return differently, changed. That we would be moved. As a benediction, I I heard these words. We'll have an invitation in a moment, but I want you to hear them. And so, come on for our instrumentalists, if you'll make your way up. And so may God take the truth of these texts and waken in us a desire for Christ himself. May we say from our hearts, Lord Jesus, you are the Messiah. You are the King of Israel. But more than that, you are the King of my life. All nations will come and bow down before you. God wields the world to see that you are worshiped. Therefore, whatever opposition I may find, I joyfully ascribe authority and dignity to you, Jesus, and I bring gifts to you that say to you alone, you can satisfy my heart. I have no need of these things. You have no need of these things. I simply have need of you in Christ. I bow to you as my king. How are you going to leave church today? Some of you will lose your blessing in the parking lot because somebody cut you off. Don't do it. Somebody will ruin the blessing of somebody else in the parking lot. Don't do it. I have very, very little time to tell you about those things. What I want to tell you is this. There are much, much bigger life issues at stake. Eternity hangs in the balance. We are called the body of Christ to be representatives of Christ the King. Do people see in our lives that Jesus truly is Lord? Do they see that we humbly adored and bowed and worshiped Him this day? Oh, that we would return different. As I encounter Christ, I find myself broken on the anvil of Scripture and then rebuilt, remade, repoured by His Holy Spirit, today, if you have never trusted Jesus, we wanna give you the opportunity to. We're gonna to sing together. I'm gonna to invite you to stand right now. And as you're standing, let me give you simple instructions. We have a group of people in our church that we simply call encouragers. They're prayer partners. And at the beginning of this song, they will be making their way uh, down here to the front. They would love to just pray with you over any matter you have in your life. Maybe you have never started a relationship with Jesus, and today is that day. It's a day of appointed homecoming for you. You have heard and you have seen, and you want to go and see this thing that has been told to you. Just as the shepherds did, they heard it, and they said, we got to see for ourselves. Maybe today you need to see. You've been standing out into the fields and you need to draw near to the Christ child. Be saved today. Give your heart and your life to Jesus Christ. Maybe you have some other need. They're here to pray with you over those as well. But more than anything, would you just commit yourself, not as a New Year's resolution, not as just some resolve that you're gonna try harder and do better, but you would ponder in your heart the significance of Christ. Emmanuel, God with us, and you'd go home different. Your wife sure needs a different husband, not another person, but a man who's committed to Jesus. Your husband needs a different wife, one that's committed to Jesus Christ. Your kids need different parents. Some of you are saying, well, I need some different kids. Anybody want to trade? I'm not saying that. We need our lives to be transformed by Jesus. Amen? Let me pray and we'll sing. Father, we love you, we thank you, we praise you for this time. We pray, God, that you would move in this place. God, that we truly would encounter Christ and that we would be forever changed. And that change would leave our mouths in glory and praise toward you. God, have your way during this time of decision. In Jesus' name, amen. You come as we sing.